Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Unsafe Space. You're watching Kofefi Break live on Friday, April something or other at 11 a.m. Pacific, April 9th, 2021. Uh, I'm Carter. I'm joined by Carrie. Hi, Carter. And, good uh, morning. Good morning to you, Carrie. Um, do we have any housekeeping before we introduce our guest today? Book Club this month is coming up. We are doing fiction this month and a book that I haven't read before. And I still haven't started it. <laughs> so don't be like me. Douglas Adams. It's fast Hitch and easy. It's easy. Okay. It's okay. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. What day is that? March 28th. March 28th. Okay. Yeah. That, no, no. Um, we're in April, Carter. <laughs> all right. Sorry. April 28th. I wrote April 28th. March. Oh, no, wait. No, that was fourth turning. Yeah. May 2nd. I'm, I can't read. I apologize, okay. everyone. Okay. May 2nd. I'm going to delete this this old one. I had the <laughs> turning date staring in front of my face. May 2nd is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. If you guys want more info on that, you can go to unsafespace.com to the book club page. And it has the correct date and also a link to buy if you don't already have the book. And it's free to join and participate. You can be on camera to discuss with us or you can just be in the chat like today. Yes. Um, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. All that good stuff. Um, we're going to be possibly opening up one or two more spots on the retreat, but I don't think they're there yet. But check back on the website wow. and we'll see. Um, I think that's it. Let's introduce. We have with us today, Mark Pellegrino is back. Uh, Hi, live Mark. from Pittsburgh. Hey. Um, welcome, Mark. It's good to see you again. Good to see you. This is, this um, is one of the few times I actually knew what the date was because it's my birthday. Oh, happy, happy birthday. birthday. Thank you. <laughs> I can't believe you're So you're wow. 29. How old Thank are you? Can that... I ask? I can ask guys, right? I'm I'm 29. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Yeah. I'm For honored the... that you would spend time on your birthday with us. So thank you. Of course, <laughs> you guys are awesome. Um what well, am I 29? I'm 29 for the 26th time. I don't know. I, I can't I can't count. <laughs> I've been 29 for a while. Yeah, every every time I hit a new decade, I'm like, oh, I'm old now, and now I'm in my 40s now, and I'm like getting closer to 50, and I'm like, man, 50 won't be so bad. 50s, I know, I have friends in my in their 50s who seem fine. Uh, I may I'll just do that until I die when I'm 90. But I remember in my 20s thinking 50 was going to be very old. But yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's it's not, of course. And also, I've found that every decade I seem to enjoy a bit more than the previous one. So. I'm enjoying really? my 40. Yeah, I'm enjoying my 40 so far. But that might have to do with I was in the SJW cult for about 20 years. Right. Enjoyment so wasn't allowed for many. I years. Also, <laughs> yes. I'm so sorry. That's so awful. Uh, it's kind of cool. I feel like I'm uh, uh, just just uh, becoming an adult in my 40s. Hi, Cameron. Hi. Oh, Cameron Posh is here as well. Hey, Cameron. Hi, I'm, I'm joining you all from lovely Daytona Beach. Wow. Nice. Oh, wow. So, Cameron, I do you know? I pulled off Escape from Alcatraz. I took off from LA after 14 months. Wow. <laughs> do you know Mark? Mark Pellegrino is to, uh, probably to your right. And, uh, Mark, that's Cameron Pasha. Hey, Cameron. How are you? From the beach. Good and now frozen, but looking like he's having more fun than us. Well, wait, what converted you? What, what converted you from the social justice cult? How did you get out of it? Please tell people. Uh, <laughs> You're I've not going to like the answer, Mark. No? Uh, well, I don't know. It's just there's not a simple answer. I've done a lot of 
interviews about it over the past couple of years, but it, it basically, I, I was going through a personal crisis in my life and figuring out who I was and I was getting a divorce and there were a lot of big picture questions for me. I started going to church also, um, like a very non-denominational church in, in LA. It's that big church called Agape. Do you know that one? I, I've been to Agape, of course. Yeah. So I started going there and that sort of opened the door for me for questioning some things, but really in terms of my ideology, the first crack in it was, um, building up to the 2016 election. And I saw a lot of videos um, on YouTube of people that were supposedly on my side, people in social justice, leftists, attacking Trump supporters physically. Mm. And I had no idea that had, had been happening. And, and in fact, I believed the opposite. I, I, I was hearing stories that Trump supporters were violent at rallies. And I just believed that. And then, so then I started looking for those videos to see is that happening too? Mm. Most of what most of the violence I saw was coming from my side towards Trump people, and um, I didn't wake up overnight or anything. But that was the first. I was really emotional, and then after that, the reason Carter said he may not like the answer is I talk about this a lot. I don't think you can give people facts to change their mind. You have to reach them emotionally first, and then come with the facts, like Jonathan Haidt talks about. Also, God was the reason I thought he wouldn't like the answer, but that's well. I mean, well, you just had something. You had a more coherent philosophy than the crazy, destructive, disintegrated one that was going on with social justice warriors. They're trying to break something apart, and you were looking something to cohere to. And yes, I think that's a much more constructive place to come from, whether it's God or or secular. Ah, very interesting. Well, I'm glad you were a convert. You're sort of a recent convert. Yeah, that was 2000. It was a long process. So like 2016 to 2017 is when I started rethinking everything. And um, it took me a long time to once I realized that I thought there were serious problems with social justice ideology that, hey, wait a minute, we're encouraging violence and censorship. And we're telling people that the best way to end racism and sexism is by treating people differently on the basis of race and sex. And once I realized that there were big problems with it, it still took me like another six months to get over my fear of talking about it. I worked in the entertainment industry, but in a really small niche, I was a manager. I managed uh, comedians and produced a late night TV show called Totally Biased on FX. And it was one of the first woke late night shows. I mean, I was fully in, I produced woke content. I really- what? Hey, did you, where did you, yeah. where did you first get your taste of woke poison? Was it in school? At Duke, yeah, in college. At Duke, even. And and that was in the nineties. So mm. it's this is when we talk about it, where it's kind of interesting. This is I think social justice ha has really become dominant in the last year, but the roots for it, as you guys know, I'm sure, go back decades. And I was indoctrinated into it over twenty years ago. And all of the people my age went out like I did and went into entertainment and went into journalism and went into all these different cultural fields and education also. But they, we believed, I believed that it was my job to change the world through whatever sphere of the world I was in. So my little corner of the world, if it's, if it's managing comedians and trying to get TV shows on the air, I'm going to push my belief system in this small way. And I don't know. That's that goes back to Jonathan Haidt too, where he says you can choose like the purpose of a university. You can look at it as John Stuart Mill does, like 
well, the purpose should be to teach people how to think, or you can look at it like more like Marx. The purpose should be to teach people what to think and that they need to go out into the world and become activists. And that's definitely what we were learning at Duke was to become activists. And a lot, that was a long time ago too. <laughs> yeah, it truly well, is. Well, it truly is like a cancer. You hit the major issue, which is Marx, right? When he said this, mm-hmm. is, this has been going on for a long time, I was going to respond. This is going on exactly since Marx and Engels, right? This is this yeah. is a cultural Marxist uh, agenda that has been promoted for well over a century. That has step by step entered first through academia and then through the media, and now it has become the mainstream narrative. Uh, unfortunately, and you know, working in Hollywood, uh, it is the narrative that people adopt, even while they're all sort of rich Beverly Hills people working with their, you know their undocumented, uh, underpaid staff, right? It was mm-hmm. And so it is, it's fascinating to see how the people have been taken by this ideology and can't recognize where it's coming from. I mean, I would even argue it's, uh, it predates Marx with some philosopher. I mean, Hegel and, and Kant were both sure. before Marx, uh, and he relied heavily on Hegel. I mean, Hegel's one of the ones that I come back to just because I've, I, you know, when you read Hegel, he literally talks about, I've said this before, but he literally talks about the state being the, uh, the manifestation of the will of the universe (laughs) and, and that therefore people are basically, uh, pawns to be used to make sure the, the, to prop up the state, to make sure the universe can manifest itself properly on earth. Uh, didn't Rousseau have similar concepts? Yeah. He was just after Hegel, right? But yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it is, it is a long thing. And we talked about this the other day and I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, I'm, I actually get frustrated with sometimes with people that I, and I'm wrong for getting too frustrated. So I'm not saying this is a good thing, but I'm, I'm admitting like I sometimes get frustrated with people that come that, you know, leave social justice and they're like, okay, so we just need to rewind to the nineties when everything was great. And like, <laughs> let's go. Like they just went a little far. But all, you know, all this, all the, the, like everything else is good. They just took it a little bit too far. And, um, you know, because I'm standing on the sidelines going, no, things have been bad, really bad for <laughs> hundreds of years. We need to fix this. Well, I think, I think that's sort of maybe a reflection of a universal acceptance of the golden mean. I mean, that might be the one bad yes. thing that Aristotle gave us is that the good is actually the middle point between two very bad things, two extremes. And so people think that the middle ground is just the right way to go. No, no, two bad things do not, the middle of two bad things is not uh, the intersection of good. I'm sorry, it's just not. So um, maybe if we don't- And Hegel picked up on that, by the way, and and Mm. wrote the whole thing about it, yeah. There you go. So we've had poison poison in our philosophical uh, genes for a couple of thousand years. There is an antidote to it though, but she's been vilified by academia. I think Rand is the- I think Ayn Rand is the is the antidote to all that. Yeah, I I, I agree with you philosophically. I mean, I don't. I, I think there are a couple of errors, but they're less philosophical and more like she said she didn't understand human psychology, and, and that's fine. And like, hey, I don't think she but did. I think she was also a, a fairly profound psychologist in her own right. I think she she nailed the profile of of the psychological profile of villains and second handers. I think she understands yep. where a lot yep. of their insecurities and fears come from. And I think she she offers some solutions to them that are pretty pretty good. And she wasn't a psychiatrist or a psychologist by any stretch of the imagination. No, and she didn't pretend to be. And and I and and I the thing that's frustrating about her for me is that if you bring her name up, 
Um, you can say the same things that she would say without bringing her name up, and people will say that sounds reasonable, and, and that's, so those are good arguments. But if you say they came from Rand, uh, it's just it's like the ultimate genetic fallacy. It's like, oh, they came from Rand, therefore they're racist, sexist, fascist, bigoted, blah, 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 blah. She's horrible and evil, and, and she's not a real philosopher. Right? That's, that's what you get when you right. bring that up. So I, right. like, I feel bad about it, but often I just don't mention her because it doesn't help the argument. Well, yeah. and, and to be fair, I think, you know, to be fair to her critics, I think it, it is fair to say Anne Rand created a bit of a cult around herself, which is, all, which is in many ways the antithesis of the philosophy she posited. And so, you know, I, I, I personally, I think I've mentioned this before on, on cast. I'm very libertarian. I tend to follow Ludwig von Mises and many scholars that have come out of that sort of, liber, you know, Austrian school of economics uh, philosophy were very critical of Rand for, for not living up to what she was saying, whereas they actually followed the ethics very closely in their personal lives. So, I mean, I think there's a reason that, that she's not a useful uh, labeling of the, the resistance to this SJW movement. I think there's a lot of good ideas out there. She's just very popular, and so it's very easy to, to put everything through her, through her uh, lens. But then as a result, people reject the ideas, which I think many of them are good. I couldn't, well, disagree, I couldn't disagree with you anymore. Sort of, sort of like <laughs> saying Epictetus, Epictetus had a cult around him because Stoics followed him. I mean, you know, philosophers have people around them who follow them. Aristotle had, had uh, the Lyceum and uh, Plato had the Academy. They're not cultists for, for indulging in the philosophy for for going to these places of learning and following leaders, which is what the quote unquote collective did with Rand, what, what they did with their personal lives, whether or not they followed her concepts or ethics the way they should have is, is not really her responsibility. But the idea- I don't actually think it's whether she followed the matters as much as what the ideas were. Of course it doesn't, of course it doesn't. I mean, I, mean, I think she would claim that she did and we, right. we, we could look at, I mean, I can certainly look at the flaws in her life and, and say, um, and, and question that for for sure, uh, especially her relationship with Nathaniel Brandon. But she certain, certainly was open about it, and didn't conceal it from anybody. If anything, it's Nathaniel and Barbara and her husband and the people around her who were who were the abject cowards who couldn't cross her and say, "I'm sorry, you're not you're not really the judge of what's good in my life or who I should be screwing or allowing you to screw." So, bug off. Um, I think I think the libertarian movement does 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 itself a disservice by separating themselves from her. I think they 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 disconnect themselves from basic values, from morality, from ethics. They try to come up with a completely economically based system that doesn't sell. It doesn't sell. It just can't it can't be it can't be validated. And that's why its tent includes so many bizarre characters, because there's no there's no philosophical or ethical cohesion to it. And they, they treat something like an axiom, a moral axiom that isn't a moral axiom. The non-aggressive, the non-aggression principle isn't the moral axiom. And what is? I mean, that's the question that libertarians so, so should ask. So let's continue this conversation on that. You know, I think, and, I, and we have Kerry here who's a, who's a Christian. I think one of the things that alienates people from a lot of, of Rand is that she was pretty anti-religion. Nope. I'm a Muslim. I'm very happy to be Muslim. No, she was not. And yet her commentary on religion and particularly Jesus Christ is not particularly uh, productive in, in connecting with people in the West who I think would be attracted to other parts of her philosophy. And I, I think that alienates people. It certainly doesn't connect me as a religious person to her ideas. She, was, I mean, I she wasn't. She wasn't. She was not religious on this cast, but I'm explaining to you why 
she will never be a helpful proponent for people who are uh, very happy to be of a religious background, who share some similarities with her viewpoint, but don't like her 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 attitude towards faith. Great. Can I, can okay, I ask I, no, a that's question? Di that's different well, than being anti-religion. Her attitude towards faith is different than being anti-religion. So you should actually separate those two. So I don't actually, uh, I'll confess, Carter knows this. In the two years we've been doing book club, the one book I didn't read <laughs> was Ayn Rand. And I still have to I read know. it. You but I also shrugged. It's the one book I, I wanted you to read. It's the one book you wanted me to read. I am going to read it. I, I don't know wh what her opinion was on faith or religion, but I do know Carter was became an atheist after reading Ayn Rand. No, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. She, one can be, one can understand the qualities of religion that are good for human beings. It's that it, that it wants you to look at the exalted, that it believes that things in the world and in the universe are sacred. Those are, and, and many more. I mean, Ayn Rand could probably list a, a, a billion things about religion that are, that are great. And I share commonality with her and with other objectivists in saying that religion also tries to come up with a coherent system of ethics and a coherent system, way of looking at the world, which is far superior to the secular skeptics that we're seeing today, the radical skeptics. What she had a problem with was not religion per se, but but mysticism and faith. Now, the concept of faith is the antithesis of, of reason. Now, uh, there are those in modern times, and I think even you know what kicked off the Renaissance. That philosophy, philosophy was sort of the handmaiden of religion. It sort of uh, Islam helped to propel uh, uh, Aristotelian philosophy into the Christian world, and and people like Thomas Aquinas took it a little bit further. Um, and to that extent, I'm sure she owes a debt of gratitude to them, but the concept of faith itself is the antithesis of reason. It's saying to believe in something irrespective of fact, to believe in something irrespective of fact. Now that, and, and Carter, you may be able to come up with a better definition of it than me, but as far as she's concerned, that is no, that you can't live that way as a human being in your daily life. And you sure, you certainly shouldn't base your ethics on things that you can't, you can't relate to a fact. You should. You shouldn't. Be, you shouldn't run your life according to not basing your choices on fact. It's. It's not sound. You have a mind for a reason, and your mind's purpose is to navigate reality. And and so and on that because we've got two believers here and two perhaps I think at least one I can clearly say he's openly a believer. I don't know Mark how you would define yourself, uh, but it's you know as someone who is a Sufi mystic, right? This is my critique. Facts are also, you know, there's there's common facts. You and I both look at the sky and see a blue sky, and we can say that the sky is blue. There's also personal experiences, where I'm sure Kerry can explain. People who have faith, it's not just I read the Bible and suddenly it sounded good to me. They have personal experiences in their lives that support their experience of that. I, as a Muslim and a Sufi, have had personal experiences that are not rationally explainable by you or me or anyone else, and they work for me, and they fit in my paradigm that the world is more than the five senses are telling me. And so those are personal facts. And to deny those personal facts because she hasn't experienced them or has closed her eyes to them just just limits her worldview and her. Paradigm. No, she, she doesn't deny them. She denies that they're she denies that they count as knowledge that can be communicated to other humans. Right. You so can't ask anyone to behave on those as group. if they are objective facts because they're not. Right? Well, but that's, they're, that's, that's correct. That's her experience. I, I'm part of a spiritual group where we've had common experiences that others would be like, that never happened, or you're making that story up. We've all experienced it. And so 
that's where faith comes in. One goes, okay, I just don't believe what you're telling me because you're, what you're selling doesn't fit within my paradigm of how the universe works, and it shouldn't happen. And I think, Carrie, I mean, again, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I, think it's all, I think as believers we do have a right to say that is stating that our beliefs are just purely subjective is not our experience of them. Now, who do you think who I, do you think who do you think would respect that concept more? An objectivist like Ayn Rand, if she were in office, or perhaps a brother Muslim or Christian who is a devout believer? Who do you think would who do you think would would want you to to be able to express this notion of reality this notion of reality that you have, uh, or who would be inclined to repress it? It, de fellow, it depends on the kind of uh, Muslim or Christian you're talking about. But it, doesn't <laughs> but it doesn't depend, but you don't, I don't need to depend on the kind of objectivist. That objectivist would completely allow it because they understand that freedom to think and freedom to express your, yourself, uh, as we see it under the First Amendment, is an inviolable human right for various reasons. So no, no, there would be no sect of objectivism that would deny that. Well so put. On, our, on our podcast, for example, Carter, who's atheist, we we talk about how you know on our show we want to use um, reason to to make arguments and we're grounding our arguments in reason. However, he will allow me sometimes to go off on a tangent and explain how I've sometimes come to some decisions based on faith. I'm not, but I never put it forward as like you should you should also you should believe me when I say I think there are some other ways of knowing that postmodernists actually get. Part something's right. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't insist that he. I don't know. I guess I don't insist. It doesn't. It's not important to me if he agrees with me or not. So, oh, but mean, just in in answer to your playing, yeah, so yeah. yeah yeah I agree. I, I know it's not important to you. I think sometimes it's hard for um for for people though who are really um, dogmatically religious or dogmatically atheist to have to have conversations because then they they're the intent is based on convincing the other person. And I don't know, I don't usually have that with Carter, but in answer to your question earlier, Cameron, I have had in the past couple of years, I still describe myself as a relatively new Christian. Um, I don't know how long I'm allowed to say new, but I, I have had things I can't explain with reason. And I know to outsider friends and to atheists, they think, well, maybe that's confirmation bias or it's something that you experienced as as something mystical when it was really just emotion or an, or an epiphany that you had. But um, I don't know. Those things are enough for me. Here, here's how faith, here's how I've tried to exercise faith in my life. When I used to make decisions based solely on what I wanted to do, I would oftentimes make the wrong decisions. And so in the past couple of years, there've been a few times where I, I've really felt that God, as I understand God or the universe, if you, if that helps, really wanted me to make a decision other than the one I wanted to do. And so I had to have faith. I had to trust to do this thing that really scared me to make this decision that I did not want to make. And on the other side of it, every time it's been worth it. It's made so much sense. So anyway, well, we've also talked about me giving you advice from a rational perspective that was identical to what you sometimes Carter, the me. atheist gives, tells me the same thing. God tells me. <laughs> Right, because I because I I don't think I think you're living by a set of rules that have been that have evolved over time as effective ways to be, and you can you cannot lie because the Bible says to not lie, or you cannot lie because you understand that 
uh, falsifying reality and the intention of gaining a value through deceit is ultimately destructive to you and those around you. And it oh, I work, agree. Right? I mean, more personal co- questions of um, should I quit this job and do this even though I don't want to, or should I break up with this person even though I don't why, want to? Wait, why would you even be asking yourself the question if you're saying I don't want to? So to me, the fact that you're even asking the question means there's something in there that there's a fissure that you need to investigate. Plain and simple. Like I would say, like I would say, internal contradiction. There's an internal contradiction. You're, you know, it on some level, even if it's subconscious, and that's what causes you to explore it. I mean, look, I used to be a Christian myself, uh, and I had mystical experiences that I could look back on now and sort of explain away. Um, But I I would, I would just say there's an error in in your in your conclusion. I wouldn't say that you're wrong. You're wrong in the sense that uh, you didn't have the experience. I wouldn't invalidate that by any stretch of the imagination. I would just say, like the person who looks at the at the stick in the water and thinks it's bent, you're experiencing something that's real and concluding something uh, that's not. And um, and so I, I I I that that would be my my comment to you with respect to religious experience. But I I don't think there are other ways of knowing than your mind than reason. Um, and I think yeah, maybe you're opening up to your authentic sense of self, whereas before you were walled off to your to to what you really wanted or 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 knew to be true in some levels. You were compartmenting compartmentalizing aspects of yourself. I don't know. Uh, the, these are dynamics about your own personality and your own evolution. I mean, you've grown a lot in the last several years. I mean, evolving from social justice warrior to what you are evolving into. That's a massive personality shift. And that's going to cause, in, in my view, a lot of realizations because I think social justice warrioring is epistemologically damaging. I think it destroys your capacity to oh, yeah. perceive, to 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 perceive other people, uh, to to integrate information. It's so bad for you on so many levels that when you're not doing that, even with religion, which is tremendously integrating, I mean, to me, it's tremendously integrating and also open and inclusive. I mean, I could respect very much your Muslim and Christian, uh, I, you know, openness to, to, uh, to the human experience, uh, to, to, the, to something more than the material world. I think there's something to that. I don't think Rand was a materialist, right? Like I, I, don't look at, I don't look at the world as purely material. Rand didn't look at the world as purely material. One of her heroes, Howard Rourke, is perfectly happy working in a quarry, in a granite quarry. He's very happy because he's he working. He could have been much richer. He could have been much Not more wealthy. It. He could have right. betrayed his values, and he could have been the the best, the greatest architect in the eyes of the world. He chose to work in a granite quarry, and he was perfectly happy because it's not about the material world. She understood that there's something to consciousness that isn't material. It's you know, she, I don't. She just identified it a certain way, but that doesn't make that doesn't mean there isn't room for you know mysteries to be solved. Mm. Can I bring up Star Trek? And I know this is going to sound like a non sequitur, but I, it's a, it's there's an example here that I think has clouded this discussion, which is I think a lot of the the mainstream view of when you say reason uh, is the only epistemological method for um, <coughs> obtaining knowledge. Mr. Spock was a caricature of 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 the writer's perception of objectivism, and he's ridiculously detached from emotions. He is not at all what an objectivist would be, and he's and he has a very narrow definition of logic. Um, reason actually, a lot of people think of reason only as deductive, 
induction is where reason starts. You need to start with induction. In fact, I would argue that people, most people, it's not their problem. It's not that they can't deduct. It's they, they have no idea that induction even exists. Wait, in fact, can, in so, fact indu induction, in, they try, they're trying to invalidate induction yes. as we speak. Yes, they are. Can, but, uh, that, can, that's the ga gaslighting is the invalidation of <laughs> induction in some sure, sense, right? Sure. Can you just explain that it's, difference, it's though, Carter? Well, induction is so deduction is when you think like, oh, um, you know, P implies Q, Q implies R, therefore P implies R. Like it's it's that very logical. You start with some premises and you deduce logically from those premises some other stuff. And a lot of the a lot of the logical fallacies that we talk about and a lot of the ways that we look for contradictions is often in deductive logic. People point out, well, just because all men are mortal, uh, and all fish are mortal doesn't mean all men are fish. And here, and they and they they explain why, you know, that's a deductive error. Um, however, deduction starts with premises. If you have zero premises, it can't start from nothing. You can't look at the world and start with nothing and be like, I'm going to deduce now. You need to start with a premise. And obtaining premises is induction. It's the process of looking at the world and making generalizations. You look at all of the you look at all of the species and or all the things in the world and you say, well, these things tend to move and these things don't tend to move. And these things tend to have, so, like these things fly, I'll call these things birds. Like that's, that's a process of induction. It's looking out at the world and categorizing things and coming up with premises. And that's, and you need to start with premises. You need to start like, for example, one of the, one of the inductive conclusions of, of Rand is that man's primary means of survival is his reasoning mind. And, you can look out at the world and see that. That's an inductive step that needs to be taken. You can't, I can try and argue from deduction, but you need to open your eyes and look and see every time man makes his life better, it's through a process of reason. Like this is, this is how he survives. Um, yes, there are other ways that he can make decisions, but if you look at what actually works for humankind on a large scale, and you look at all the men making all the decisions, when you pray for rain, it doesn't work as well as if you water your garden. Like people look at this and say, okay, using your reasoning mind, understanding agriculture, planting, doing all the, like all of that is you, you look out and you induce principles from things, you induce starting points. And if you don't induce the proper starting points, it doesn't really matter what the deductive discussion is, because if we're starting with entirely different premises, we are just talking over each other. Yeah, but I want to say there's skeptics since maybe Hume, maybe I'm getting it wrong, Popper. I mean, it's a popular... Hume is definitely a skeptic of this. Right, who, yeah. who, would, who would say, look, you can't know that because you're seeing, you're, you, you, you see a, an instance occurring over and over again that it's going to happen again. You just can't know that the sun's going to come up tomorrow because you've seen it multiple times. Right. And so they try to use examples like that to, to reduce the... Uh, the, the, the power of induction in, in the way that we see the world, but your whole conceptual process is inductive. If you think about it, a concept is an act of induction. It's, it's a generalization where you're removing all the, all the particulars, all the, yeah. all the specifics of the thing and, 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 and categorizing an existent under a, a, a concept like chair, for example, that enables you to hold in your mind all of the chairs that have ever been and will ever be. Uh, that's that's an infinite number of existence that are that um, all come under 
one single concept. That's incredibly, it's an incredibly valuable conceptual tool. Concepts are an incredibly value, a valuable epistemological tool for you to have. They're vital. They're vital. 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 And, and they're impossible to achieve through deduction. You can't deduce a chair. Right. And I would also say that the, the power of religion to me and why I actually have, te- have been telling objectivists to knock off beating up religions, because I've had this argument with people in the Daily Objective where they, they knock religion a little. I'm like, hey, shut the, shut the fuck up, man. It's the, it's the skeptics. It's the radical skeptics that we need to be fighting right now. Relig- <clears throat> the religious people who are religious are still trying to integrate. They're still trying to see the one in the many. They're still trying to do that very human thing that even we as I'm an amateur philosopher, but that we're trying to do, which is find the one in the many. That's, that's what Thales gave us that first step towards what philosophy really is. And religion does that, whether it's, whether it's the Muslim faith or the Christian faith in its iterations, you know, they're all trying to see the world in a whole. And I can actually respect that. Totally. But, but see, Mark, thank you for saying that. But I just want to, just remind you, you said earlier that there's no objectivist that would view religion or would try to shut that down, whereas you've just expressed that people you're working with do have a contempt for religion. So again, there's a range where you can say they're not good objectivists, they don't understand the philosophy very well, and in the same way that I can say a guy who blows himself up is not a good Muslim. So again, there becomes the, the range. He wasn't talking no, about No, I, I never said that. I, I never said, I never said no, that Cameron, they didn't no. have contempt for religion. Some do. But they would never make it legal. They would never deny you your ability to think and and operate according to your philosophy. Now, some people in sects of of Islam would, and some people in sects of Christianity and Judaism would do that very thing. If I were to drive through sections of Jerusalem <laughs> on the, on a high holy day, on a Sabbath, in a car, they'll throw rocks at my car. If I, if I were to wander into a certain neighborhoods that are that are fanatically Islamic, or they would they would do something to me as somebody who, who as a, as an atheist, and and Christians as well. There are certain communities that are not integrated into this way of looking at into a, a modern civilized way of looking at the world, and would do me great harm because look, my own my own my own aunt said I was going to burn in hell uh, because I didn't believe in Jesus Christ. Um, okay. You know, uh, but my no objectivists can think you're wrong, but they they yeah. they will always respect your uh, right Correct. to be wrong. Correct. They would never use force against you ever because of your belief, unless you were using force against them. Unless they become someone who believes they're an objectivist, but they've been captured by social justice. <laughs> Right. That's crazy. I just oh, yeah, saying, I don't know. That's, and that probably exists somewhere out there. There's probably some nut who thinks that. Can we get back to the cult thing for a minute? Because I want my I'm gonna talk about my lived experience now. I'm gonna use the SJW oh, term. But uh no, I, I I will say that um there there are there are some people who followed Rand that did make it into a cult thing and I think missed the entire point of her philosophy, which is <clears throat> You know, I think she would argue your job is to make up your own mind. And there are people who obsess over what would she do rather than what do I think. Um, And that gets, I mean, we used to joke 20 years ago, my other objectivist friends and I used to joke like, I don't like Rachmaninoff, but don't tell anyone. Because liking Rachmaninoff was some like thing you were supposed to do if you were, you know, 
the right kind of objectivist. And there, so there is this weird community of cultish followers. Um, I'm just not in that community anymore, and I don't really know how prevalent it is. That was 20 years ago. Maybe those people, I, I, and I wouldn't really call them objectivists, but they would have called themselves objectivists. That, see, that's the thing yeah, is, is people. True. I think of any belief system, there, there, self delusion is a powerful thing. I know lots of people who are calling themselves liberals today who do not believe in liberal principles, who believe in very illiberal things. <laughs> But I think they they truly believe that they're liberals. And there are people who call themselves progressives who I would argue support regressive ideas. So I agree with you. I agree with you. but that's because that's because of the of the moral uh, of the of the of the moral investment that we put in terms like uh, liberalism and progressivism and the, and it's and and liberalism particularly it's it's uh, it's historical it's historical roots are profound. I mean, they, they are profound. They've been co-opted and willingly willingly allowed to be co-opted by the quote unquote conservatives who actually are more liberal in some respects than than the than the folks on the left. Um, but, you know, yeah, it, words mean things, though. So um, just because somebody says it so doesn't make it so. Well, but Can talking about like floating abstractions like words like progressive whatever carrie says that's not progressive i actually don't know how to respond anymore because i don't know what it means i, just, I don't <laughs> yeah, know what progressive right. means i have no idea what progressive means if i look like 100 years ago what it meant versus three week three years ago what it meant and like really I you see you see you see some distinction tell me the distinction because i don't see much i go ahead well go i don't i don't it, is it just marxism no no i don't think so I think it's, but I think it's a state-forward um, ideology. I think it's, I think it's still rooted in the notion that the individual, the individual should be subordinated to the state, and that the collective is somehow the 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 moral um, goal, and the sustenance of and the thriving of the collective is still the moral goal. The, the best way to achieve it is just through some form of quote-unquote collective action. Is that Marxist? Well, I mean, it certainly has. I think it's I think it's vibing in that direction, but but uh, well, late nineteenth century, early twentieth century progressivists were often racist, and like yep. they're they're they pushed ideologies intentionally to push, uh, to push undesirables down or to even even uh, we'll say soft eugenics, perform soft eugenics on undesirables, and that's not something a progressive would admit to now. I like that's changed so. No, I guess the only no, through line no, I see no. is there's some sort of collectivist. I, I, I disagree. Right? I, I disagree. I think the whole concept of they're doing it. They're just doing it. They're just doing it epistemologically. So I feel like the whole concept of intersectionality, and I feel like the whole nonsense about white fragility and this whole race-forward kind of concept is the same thing. They're just trying to do it through the dynamics of society as opposed to science. They're doing it with social science now. So they're doing the same thing. They're just not talking about it as much. Well, they're just not talking about it in the same terms, and they have they have what they think is the moral high ground, because they're they're using fissures and contradictions. I think in the in in the historical facts of America and its actual racism to drive these narratives. That's a good point. So you're arguing progressivism hasn't really changed; they've just switched methods. Yeah, yeah that's it. They've switched methods. I think to me, to me, that's what it's what it's about. I think they go from. 
they they identify various classes whatever is whatever will advance their cause more and when they see that it when they see that identifying certain categories of people aren't advancing the cause they move on to another one so it was the entire working class and lenin saw that that wasn't working he thought they needed to be forced into action and there was that and then there's gramsci who thought well no we need to attack the institutions we need to hit the culture that's what i think is being followed now and has been being followed for a very long time by the cultural marxists who are undermining who are undermining our our american roots and the reaction from the right is of course inadequate which is to circle the wagons around the superficial aspects of our culture nationalism race and respond and respond to the to the onslaught from a more or less similarly primitive point of view. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. So I, um, was always evil and it's just yeah. different now. Okay. Yeah, it's all about, you know, I think, I mean, you know, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was bad from Wilson on. I mean, I guess Roosevelt too. Roosevelt was a suck. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe somebody can tell me who a good progressive is. I don't know. I'd like to know. I like Jimmy Dore. And uh, I, th you know, I disagree with him on some things, but I think he gets a lot right. Do you know who he is? He's a comedian. No. He has a podcast. You should check him out. He's, um, I like to listen to, well, <laughs> my, my fiance likes to listen to Jimmy Dore and Steve Bannon, and then kind of give me the scoop on what they're Ooh. both saying, but the place in which they overlap like a Venn diagram, that part I think is really interesting because that's where mm. I think they that you can find some truth. Um, but yeah, he's a he's a progressive who I like a lot, and you know, I actually like a lot of things that Cornell West says. He's a progressive. I disagree with him on a lot as well. Um, but mm. I'm glad Cameron's back because I want. Yeah, I, I, to, I couldn't walking around the lovely beach in Daytona didn't allow me to actually talk to you. I couldn't even tell. Okay. So I'm now inside my car. It's a great, great view for your audience. It's wonderful. Um, and then well. we were just talking about progressives. And uh, are there any that that are worth checking out? And I was saying I like Jimmy Dore. I do like some things that Cornell West says. I also, um, we read a book for book club by Max Blumenthal. And it was about U.S. interventions in other countries. And he's writing it from what I would call a progressive point of view, but actually agreed with a lot of what he's saying. He has a built-in bias against Trump. He has a, a lot of things that I, I, I didn't, I wasn't on board with, but, but we overlap on a lot of things. And I think he's well, a sincere person. You brought up two interesting names, Cornell West and Max Blumenthal, and both to some degree have been excommunicated. You know, I, I hear people getting very upset when Cornell West started criticizing Obama. You know, part of the cult is you couldn't point out Obama destroyed Libya, destroyed Syria, destroyed all these countries in the name of democracy, and he did. And he admitted people didn't like hearing that. They didn't like hearing that from a black man, especially, right? And, uh, oh, yeah. and is getting a lot of the same stuff because, you know, ultimately, from my more conspiratorial worldview, I think a lot of these uh, SJW ideologies are being pushed, are certainly being promoted by people who have an agenda in leaving people fighting amongst themselves with this dumb argument while they go off and conquer the world and make money, right? Yeah. And so I think there, there are groups behind pushing some ideologies because it's useful to them to have people have this fight. And when someone questions it at that level, it becomes really a problem for the system. Hmm. Well, they're actually, they do get, like you said, they get pushed out 
the the people that I call actual progressives, which confuses Carter, <laughs> they're not they're not beloved by the social justice warriors. I'm just confused. So. Yeah, but they're not. They're pushed out. They get called like Jimmy Dore gets called alt right. He's super lefty, but he gets called alt right. Why? Because he spends a lot of time criticizing the Democratic Party, criticizing the war machine, uh, pointing out that that the Russia collusion was a nothing burger, to borrow a phrase from Van Jones, <laughs> and they see all of that and they say. Well, you're attacking, oh, you're attacking Democrats, Democrats, so therefore you must be a Republican. And Glenn, <laughs> Glenn Greenwald gets the same. Glenn Greenwald, who's been the critic of, of where journalism has become, you know, he's he is now labeled all right. And he's guy that this guy's a liberal gay guy. At least what I thought what, what a liberal gay guy was until the words lost all meaning, right? Because <laughs> so, I don't think even gay has any meaning anymore. So I don't know. I don't know what liberal means. I don't know what gay means. I don't know what any yeah, word it's not. Means. It's not high enough on the intersectionality uh, scale now to, to warrant, you know, any protection. You're, you're, you're toast. Yeah. Gay men are the day. white men of LGBTQ. That's right. That's right. And it's fascinating because, you know, before I was kicked off of Twitter, an interesting Twitter account that I was following was what, what's called the LGB Alliance, which are people who are gay and lesbian who are uncomfortable with where some of the trans argumentation is going, right? Because they feel it invalidates their experience as a gay man or as a lesbian woman that suddenly, you know, I have to be attracted to someone who's trans who I still identify as the other sex. And so now they feel excluded from, from where the rainbow community is going. This is what happens when words lose meaning. And which has been what I've been fighting passionately against within the Hollywood system, you know, as a screenwriter for, you know, a decade now, as I started watching the process of being able to say anything because everything was being redefined in front of me. Wow. Am I happy that you are a screenwriter? I really, I really am happy to see somebody with your active mind out there in the world. Good. Oh, you should well, tell I'm my ass kick, but I'm still around. Yeah. Good, he, he, uh... I'll, I'll support you. I'll be, I got your back, my friend. Mark, do you wait, remember I want, the, I, I, the wait, shows? I to, oh, I want the, to say the something. About... And, the, and the Muslim walk into a bar together. One has a drink, one doesn't. It's good. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and hey, I'm sober, so I, we both we, we both would be having a drink. It's good, so we have a lot of common ground. Excellent. Me too. So, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe this comedian door is is more like a, a FDR liberal, uh, quote unquote liberal. Who, th who I don't think that's very liberal, but he just thinks the state has a place in making more of a place than I do in, in human thriving. And, and so he does. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, we could disagree on that for sure. And I, I, I think I could tell him why I think that's erroneous, uh, but he's a much better person to me and animated by much better, a much better sense of the world and of humanity than a progressive is. Yeah. I look, are, I look at him and I see someone who is searching for truth and is honest and won't push propaganda does does he support policies that I no longer support? Like you said, he believes the state should have a greater role in human thriving. So he believes in universal health care and things that I no longer support. Right. But, he, just blanks, he just blanks out on what rights are and he just blanks yeah. out on what the nature of government is. So it's, you know, he doesn't he doesn't he hasn't quite digested the idea that the government is a gun. And because it's a gun, it can't be used in certain transactions. It should only be used in very specific delimited ways and that's what actually makes humans thrive is the is the subordination of force to reason and that's why we have a government in the first place he he's he's not ingesting that because he probably sees the other side are these wacky libertarian jagoffs who you know think you know being free is whatever the fuck i want 
to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he has no, there's no modern metric. I mean, I think Rand provides that. I think objectivists, especially modern, really thoughtful objectivists like Greg Salimieri, Ankar Gatte, Euron Brook, I think they're able to define those terms in ways that are, that, you know, most people should get. And I think most people would get on board with it if they could, if they had access to that kind of audience. I would I love the problem with a lot of those objectivists, though, is they spend too much time on politics. And Euron and I have talked about this, right? And, and I get that there's a donor class that wants to talk about politics, but politics isn't the solution to this. Um, and, uh, you know, I, you're not going to convince you're not going to convince the boomers and the Gen Xers to make any radical changes to their worldview that are going to affect politics. But you might be able to raise children uh, to think better. Yeah, that's why I think I think you're on sort of getting off of the political thing. I mean, he does current events and stuff, but he's he's more inclined to make make it about uh, things that are, I think, more interesting to people, less, less, less polarizing, less on the surface level. What were you well, going to say? We have we have religious people here and we've been talking about the kind of intersection of where I guess are you an atheist, Mark? I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Hey, the it took me. It took me a while to get there. Trust me. I, I, giving up God was a very hard thing for me. Yeah, to no. Do. Trust me. I, I know. Trust me. Uh, and I can blame Rand slash thank her for that uh, journey. But um, there's that. There's this. Inner, we have like a common enemy that we've been talking about, and which maybe broadly speaking, to use your terms, or there's the people trying to destroy rather than unify, rather than figure out. Uh, What's what the finding the one in the many and 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 moving forward and being creative, the people that are basically just trying to destroy society. Um, and a person I think kind of embodies that middle, you know, between us is is Jordan Peterson. Um, mm -hmm. He's he's actually calls himself sort of a like a cultural Christian. He's spoken at ARI events before, but he clearly has a lot of um respect and admiration for the Bible and the stories in the Bible and their power of those stories. He has less so for and... Islam, so he's definitely within a, within a camp. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't. Does he not have that for Islam? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I yeah, think I, I, when people I bring up that, hey, some of what you're saying sounds like Muslims, he gets real uncomfortable. It's just... Oh, really? Okay, I didn't yeah, know. That's where he is. It's, it's good. It's all the jerk. I'm wondering if anyone saw the Ta-Nehisi Coates rewrite of Captain America. That's why I'm asking. So I'm just going <laughs> to throw that out there. Can I can I throw one thing I here? I I want to throw in something as a Sufi mystic, uh, because we have talked about faith and and uh, and and rationality. So I'm going to give you the sort of the Sufis always find a way to trump everything. That's what we do, right? And so the Sufi answer when someone says, uh, "Oh, I'm an atheist," like, "Oh, don't worry, I don't believe in the God you don't believe in either." Right. Okay. It's all, it comes out of definitions <laughs> of what God is. Right. And so it's like, yeah, yeah, you're right on the same page. We're not, we're, we're, you and I are talking about the same thing. We're using different language and we're actually rejecting the same thing. One of the, the Sufi ways of looking at the world is, you know, the Islamic testimony of faith is la ilaha illallah. There is no God but Allah. Right. But actually, the Sufi would interpret as there is no God except, you know, Allah, which literally means like all of reality. And so, so the, there is no human created divinity. That the idea is that human beings have created deities and imaginal stories throughout history to explain the cosmos. None of that is real, but there is reality. And the journey of a mystic is to find reality. And ultimately, it is, you know, it is letting go of illusory human-created conceptions of the divine. And so they would argue atheists are already halfway there. They're at the la ilaha part. There's, there's no God. So they're already halfway there. They're past the human conceptions of, of, of the divine. And, they've well, already and an atheist would say Sufis are halfway there. So we're good. We're good. I, <laughs> we always find a way around it. We always do. <laughs> well, 
I, actually, I like that. I like that, though. I have to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah it's are, a good thought. It's a good that. thought. You're, we're looking at reality. You've all you're in your each everyone on this screen here has been on a search for truth. I think that's what connects all of us. We're trying to understand the cosmos as it is, and being very, uh, in some ways, limited and fought against and even oppressed by those who don't want to understand the cosmos as it is. They want to understand the cosmos as they believe it to be. And they're not. Well, and we all believe that. that there's an objective truth that can mm -hmm. be discovered. Well, the extent to which it can be discovered, maybe we disagree on or, you mm -hmm. know, but there's an objective truth to aim for, which I think does differentiate the four of us from, for mm -hmm. example, much of the social justice universe. Which is why which is why I will be supportive of you mm -hmm. guys. Um, and not supportive of the radical skeptic skeptics. Well, to that point, there was a super chat earlier from Blackbeard who said religion to come to combat SJW ideology scares me because they seem to be both authoritarians that just disagree on how you should live your life. And I don't want I want to respond to that in Blackbeard. Thank you for the super chat. I just I don't agree. I mean, there are there are extremists. There are fundamentalists. Mm -hmm. in Christianity, there are fundamentalists in Islam. Mm -hmm. But if when I look at the New Testament, there's nothing in there that is about exerting control over other people. Mm -hmm. And and I I don't I don't view authoritarianism as as being having any Christianity in it. <laughs> I think people are perverting it when they try and use the words of Jesus to then control others. And you see social justice people do this. They're trying to wokeify Christianity and they, they're taking verses from Acts and saying, well, look, it says that everybody gave yeah. up their possessions and they're all living together. So and they're communists. Yeah. So they're communists and, and Jesus was a communist. That's not true. It's not by, it's not at the end of a gun. It's not by force. They chose that community. That was a, that was a free will. There's Jesus nothing. Is a hippie, not a commie. Is that your point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, well, the, the, but the early church was definitely in the very first century before it could be more systematized. Uh, it was definitely a communal. Everyone threw it into the pot. That's clear from the Acts of the Apostles. But again, that was if you're gonna. That's a choice, right? You know, that's a that's choice, a choice uh, of how we're gonna organize. And then it became very clear early on that's actually not a choice that most people are gonna be able to do. So are we gonna require this to be a follower of Christ? I don't think so, right? Because most people simply can't throw all their stuff into the pot and share it like that. And so that became something that became less and less of something that was talked about and certainly didn't wasn't became a requirement to be a believer. Once again, but once again uh, to answer him, I don't I don't think that I don't think religion mm -hmm. is the answer to modern wokeness or radical skepticism. Uh, I think a coherent philosophy is like when you talk when when you say things like uh, you know there are extremes on there are extremes in these various re religious sects that, that disturbs me. The fundamentalists, when you say the fundamentalists are just, you know, they're a disturbing aspect of, of, of religion. It bothers me because as an objectivist, I see ethics as, as something extreme. In other words, consistent, you know, whatever you write in ethics should be the letter. That's the, the letter of the law is the law, uh, right? There's no, there's no suggestion or interpretation behind a, an ethical principle. It is, it, and you have to follow it 100%. So when you, if, you, if your ethics are open to interpretation, uh, they're not an objective ethics. In other words, I could say a virtue, honesty is a virtue, or rationality is a virtue, or integrity are virtues, but I can point to reality, the human mind, and the needs of the human being within reality and the use of this human mind in, in relating with reality to point to why those are virtues. 
But right? is I, honesty always a virtue? If your wife says, D -d do I look fat in this? Is the honest answer the right one there? I don't know that that's yes. the case. There's so now, in over that. Yeah. So, but honesty is just a relationship to reality. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's just a relationship to reality. And, and that's the general principle that you have to apply to the individual context. Do I think it's appropriate for you to lie to your wife? Uh, to, 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 in other words, to, to fill her mind with a false sense of self-esteem is it's not, she's asking for your honest judgment and you choose to lie to her to actually just to protect yourself from any conflict. Um, you ask yourself, is that really good? And if your wife gets upset with the fact that you have an honest sense of, of you have an honest aesthetic and she, she's not in that aesthetic or leaving that aesthetic for some reason or another, are you serving her or yourself by lying? No, I, that's not the same thing as saying there's more than just, you know, mm -hmm. someone's weight to whether or not they're, you love them. That's not the same thing, but I don't, th I don't think you should lie. Uh, by the I, way, I, I agree with you. And Cameron, the answer to that question you know, is you, she's asking you cause she wants to know the truth, hopefully. And not just validation. Not well, she theory. might not. She that's might not. My experience in relationships. <laughs> my experience has been making I agree, I agree sure that. that you love me, right? That's my experience in relationships. No, yes, I want to know that real. Direct, but, that's but my then, experience in the feminine. Well, you're right, but, but then you might have to just you just you might have to exercise really good communication skills and say, "Look, I love you very much. However, this is what's going on with me, and this is what I'm seeing right now." You know. Well, you're you're giving her to give her okay. false information doesn't enable her to change. It, it, it did not. It, it start, you start to become secretive, I think, and and you have then pockets that you're not uh, of dishonesty where you're not completely revealing yourself to the other person, and eventually that becomes very dangerous. I, it's just like building any foundation. A foundation has to be true, right? A building for at every level of its of its edifice has to be true, or it it will fall eventually. What were you going to say, Carter? I'm where sorry. we are right now, because someone once said to me that uh, society is just mutually agreed upon lies, right? Yes, we all agree to. We know. I'm. I know. I'm. What I'm saying is not true. You know what I'm saying is not true. But we're all agreeing to it, so we don't have an argument about it. Yeah, but That's there's not a the different society I want to live in. I look. Mm -hmm. I I'll say this as you know. It it I get that it's scary to say yes. Mm -hmm. That makes you look fat. Mm -hmm. Um, but I I will say I. I just like long-term, usually there's long-term value outweighs short-term gain. Um, the, if you have a relationship where you've set up honesty, that quickly becomes the norm. And, the, and like, even if there's upset at the beginning, and by the way, like, personally, I wouldn't marry anyone that I, like, we've already had those conversations well before marriage about like, yeah, you don't look good in that. You look, I like it this better, but like, <laughs> if, if that's, if that's the conversation you have and that's the expectation you've set up, then that's what your marriage is built on. And there's not a, there's like, you don't risk blowing it up if you've laid a, a, a foundation and groundwork of I'm honest, right? As opposed to fear, as opposed to fear and avoidance of right. reality. I think that will eventually contaminate the whole. It will, and it, it, it starts in one area and it metastasizes to everything It's else. like the parents who praise their child no matter what they do instead of giving honest feedback in a loving way. You, it's better to give the honest feedback so they develop, so they develop trust that you're telling them the truth, I think, and a, and a healthy well, self-esteem. But, but the, my the philosophy told has also the, caused uh, me social chaos in many ways. It's been yeah. my philosophy. I, I mean, there's a reason I'm currently single is because I like to largely live as honestly with integrity and try not to be ungracious in my honesty. 
but you know it, it can be certainly in los angeles mark you know hollywood it's it's a, a system based on uh, on appearances right and someone That's who speaks the truth is not valued very often in that society and fragile yeah. egos and fragile egos mm -hmm. and when somebody says do you like this they really don't want to know if you like yeah, it or not you're right that and was so what that, I was that's why when somebody asks me in hollywood did you like this i'll say do you really want to know what i have to say <laughs> uh, otherwise don't ask me or yes. i'll just stay quiet if i have well, nothing i, 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 I have to a say. friend who solves that in a she she's telling me about she has this uh director friend who just makes bad movies and keeps inviting her to the premieres and she has to come every time and she's like what do you think she's like you did it again <laughs> without actually saying what it is oh you did it again <laughs> he just keeps doing it again bad movies <laughs> i did i did want to say something before i forget mark about the you using the word fundamentalist and extremist okay so you are making me rethink the word fundamentalist and carter uh -huh. has already been making me rethink the word extremist and maybe it would be better if if I call the people that I'm talking about, at least in Christianity, I think, who twist God's message or the message of Jesus, if I called them Pharisees or if I called them perverts, they're perverting the word of God. That's how I view them anyway. But Well, but Mark's point, which I think is it stands here, is that no matter what you think about the Bible, you have to admit there's self-contradiction and a lot open to interpretation. It's, it's widely open to interpretation. It's full of parables, self-contradictions, uh, multiple descriptions of the same thing, lots of, like, lots of stuff that's a little bit mysterious. Like it's massively open to interpretation, which because there's wide a, because open the door for someone poetry. to come in and say, yeah. I interpret it in this evil poetry. way. Because it's poetry. That's what you're yeah. saying, parts well, of it, you, like Psalms. Well, fine, but ethics shouldn't be poetry. Poetry's poetry. But how do we convey them? That that's the thing is this is the, this is the whole conversation to me is fascinating because it represents very much the legacy uh, of of two thousand years of of, of of Western thought. And Mark, you talked about how Islamic thought influenced Western thought. You know, with with the, with the transmission of Aristotle, where essentially had been banned from Europe. But you know, for me, it's fascinating because what we're doing is we are bifurcating the mind, the right side and the left side of the brain, right? And so the idea that we have created in the in in Western cultures. There is a devaluation of the poetic side of, of the human condition. That's why we're talking only in rational terms. And that's only half the human experience, or even less than half the human experience. We live on dreams. We, there's a reason poetry, song, lyrics move us. We are creatures that are moved by that. And that is why religion conveys through imagery. The writers of the Bible very much understood when they were using allegory, even if later generations did not. Right. And so that that is I think one of the, the issues of that is a disconnect between uh, those of us and those who are religious and those of us who are not, is that we are factoring part of the human condition is poetic. And that creates the mushiness, which can certainly, uh, you know, lead to all, all the places. But you can't divorce that from the human condition, in my view. I think, well, I, I think, think we're I divorcing think, it, though. What Sorry. I think, but I, because uh, I think that's what Atlas Shrugged is. I think that's what mm -hmm. the Fountainhead is. I think that's what, uh, um, What's the, the anthem is anthem is a, is a type of poem. Uh, it's Rand understood from the objectivist perspective that you know you need these narratives. This is this is a great transmission device for ethics for the meaning of life, uh, and that's why she was an artist. Uh, I think that's why there are a number of philosophers who who were artists as well, right? Rousseau was a novelist. Sartre. There's you know there's there's a number of them that you can point to who who painted their vision of the world in, in, in words. And you're right, it's, it's a very good way to transmit ideas. But sorry, Carter, what, what uh, 
No, I, I was yeah. just going to say it's it's not a. I, I wouldn't say that objectivists are divorcing <clears throat> those two. I would say that mm-hmm. we're we're separating out. Like, look, uh, here here's maybe may I use an analogy. <laughs> you need to do hard science to figure out nuclear physics, but when you explain it to people. You can't exp- you can't show them the data and do the hard science. You have to explain it in a way that people understand. So, like, yeah, you need to use reason to determine what is true and what isn't true, and determine your ethical system. But obviously, in communicating it, no reason doesn't deny that emotions are a large part, maybe even more than fifty percent of the part of the human experience. The human experience is like what we're trying to enable. We're wanting to like. We want you to have more of the human experience. And to do that, we have to understand the rules by which the universe operates, the necessary uh, uh, means by which humans can survive and thrive, clearly articulate them, and then you can expound upon them with poetry all day long. But poetry is not the source of but, but the, 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 there the, I the information. Uh, because history has proven the poetry is the source of information. Science has proven it. Einstein, when he was coming up with a theory of relativity, he imagined it. He imagined it. He imagined how it would be like if he was sat on a beam of light while holding a flashlight in his hand. And it was that imagination that left to the eureka moment that he was later able to put into mathematical equations. But but like, he Walker, didn't get Chris famous. Imagined, it, like, we don't build G- but we don't build GPS satellites because of imagination. I'm sorry? We, but we don't build – GPS doesn't work because of Einstein's imagination. It works because he took it and wrote it down in a way that was objective and communicable to other scientists that but were But revelation rational. comes from that. The quantum so revelation from that. The quantum, that's why I use the word revelation because you say Watson and Crick, one of the two gentlemen with his Watson and Crick, one of them said openly, I saw I, – we couldn't figure out the double helix. Uh, we couldn't figure out DNA until I saw in a dream how DNA worked with the, the vision of the double helix. And then I later was like, what does that yeah, mean? Yeah, but, but, I, but I feel but like so we're, 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 right now we're, we're, that's we're, revelation. We're, we're, splitting, we're splitting that hair and pretending that reason is Spock again, and it's not. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually Captain Kirk. It is the merging of imagination and reason, right? It's not McCoy, Spock. It's Captain Kirk is the perfect, perfect synthesis of that. So, well, they did yeah. that episode where he was split into two. Remember when Kirk was split into two? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he was couldn't good function. And he didn't have his macho side to him, right? Right, right. You couldn't, you couldn't function without that. Yeah. But um, I, I think Kirk is actually an integration of uh, Spock and McCoy. You know, McCoy's the you know the emotional guy. Spock is the reason. And so, look, I, I don't think. Feelings, emotions, or, or imagination are divorced from the rational process at all. I think they are all cues to let you know what's true and what isn't. But this was just with respect to the concept of ethical principles. I don't think there should be any in, any interpretive holes in ethical principles. Just like you don't want to go up before, like you don't want to, one of the main reasons Rand, for example, didn't like antitrust law was because you could go up before a judge and Anything you did could be interpreted uh, as an act of antitrust, an act of antitrust to the judge. It just depended on the judge's own perspective and probably personal feelings about you. And you don't want any moral law that subjects you to that kind of that kind of non-objectivity, right? It, moral law has to be clear, just like the law should be clear, because in essence, we're concretizing moral rules out there for the society to follow right and they have to be clear everybody should i mean my understanding of english common law at first was that there was no there were no uh judges so to speak or uh you know in in the early days of uh, of england these laws you know were being worked out by societies of people and they would appoint somebody like a knight to listen to these things and over time through through trial and error 
um, you got to a clearer and clearer definition of what things meant. And the idea was that the common law should be is common so that every human being knows what's going on, what's yet what's good or bad. When they're standing before the tribunal of people that are judging them, they have to know of what they stand accused and have to be able to fight in their own defense. So the law should be clear. Now, now I went to law school. I'm a JD. I was a lawyer before I was a screenwriter. And uh, and the interesting thing is that one of the first things we learned is that everyone wants the legal answer. And eventually, at the end of the process, when you take the bar exam, you have the legal answer. But the entire process of law school is, is Socratic. It's about asking questions about why we even believe this to be the case. So all of the common law, and as I, my studies of the common law, is all about people ultimately projecting their own desire and twisting the, the, uh, the judgment to that. And that's the history of common law. It's eventually which version of that uh, over one you opinion over the other. But there, I've not seen any objective reality the common law in my study of it well it's it's, it's, it's it seems like trial and error but don't you think that don't you think uh, oh after the oh, over all that trial and error which is probably mostly error some sense of objectivity has to rise to the top certainly in the way that certainly we ideas went out over time i do agree with that sure so some i mean but but that's our only way to figure that sort of stuff out i guess in the laboratory of the real world is trial and error murder murder is pretty objectively and universally viewed as bad Right, but what, but the death penalty people are a little bit on the fence about, and 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 there's there's tons of good reasons for and against. So um, we could, I could say, I think it's objectively permissible for the state to kill somebody who has taken somebody else's life. I don't think they have a right to breathe one more breath or have one more hope because they denied that for what what I gave them that they that the victim didn't have was due process. The, other, the victim didn't get due process. They got due process because I'm respecting rights as an individual and, and placing reason above force, which they did not do. But, one, but forfeiting their life. Now, there's lots of people who can come up with very substantive answers to my, to my, own, to my answer to that. Sure. Right? And, and, and the major critique of, of, that, of, of capital punishment today is that the process of, by which someone is actually given capital punishment is not, is not due process. There's human... There's a lot of human error in there. There's prejudices. I mean, I was very pro death penalty until I went to law school, and I actually took the time to see, wow, the way it's actually being applied is, you know, a lot of black people getting killed, a lot of white people being let off in the same situation, right? And I'm seeing that's actually how it's being applied. So human prejudices are being how it's implemented, and that made me very sick to the heart when I saw the practical realities of, of what human beings are doing. With well, that, the, but that's true. But that's but that's why we have systems of checks and balances, even within the legal system, I imagine. You have a judge, you have a jury, you have uh, this, the system of, of uh, an advocate for the defense and, and a prosecutor. And, and sometimes the prosecutors are dirty as shit. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're just trying to make their numbers. They're trying to make their quotas. It's an adversarial system. It is corrupt in a lot of ways, but there's layers to it, including the appeal process, which is about weeding out human error and prejudice. So what we're trying to do, even though it's not successful all the time, is trying to uh, promote rational discourse. We're trying to say reason is what we must live by. Here's how we do it. And doing everything po humanly possible to weed out prejudice in the process, not always successfully. And, and that is a substantive argument ag against the death penalty is that, well, the process could be tainted. That's why we have an appeals process, right? I mean, and that's now that science now people have lost faith in the appeals process. I think in the recent election, you know, like I said, any, I've been on the show before. I'm 
my critiques of Trump, but just looking at how the election was handled on a legalistic point of view, from my own studies as a student of law, I was shocked that the Supreme Court refused to look at any of these cases. I mean, especially looking at, you know, Bush versus Gore, when we had different presidents look at these cases. That, to me, was an absolute final corruption of the American legal system when the Supreme Court wouldn't look at these cases. Make a decision. If you if you rule against Trump, rule against him like you ruled against Gore in 2000 and, and just get it done so we have some kind of precedent. But using these kind of legal standing arguments so you don't have to look at it, that shows yeah. the, the Supreme Court was afraid of public reaction to getting into this that they weren't afraid of, or at least under Rehnquist weren't afraid of it in the 2000 and 2001 situation. So well, now we've lost faith in our appeals process. I've lost faith in it. I don't believe the Supreme Court is, I, is beyond I agree. Oh, I agree with you. I think, I think there's tons of great authors out there who who condemned the Supreme Court for many, many years. I think even Walter Williams wrote a book about uh, the American contempt for the Constitution, but he puts people in that category as well, not just the not just the Supreme Court justices. Look, I think the more democratized we get, the less, the, the less responsive that wing of the government, that supreme philosophical wing that should be holding the Constitution above all else will become to principles. They'll become more responsive to public sentiment. And the more it gives into that, the worse we are. I agree with you. They should have looked at that. They should not, they should not have, they, they should not have shied against away from Make a ruling. Yeah. Make a sure. ruling so that we have precedence. I, as I was, had just come out of law school when Bush versus Gore happened. And I had many critiques uh, as a very fine very young lawyer, young law student. I had many critiques of the argument from a legal point of view, but I accepted that there was an argument made. And it's a very extensive argument. And there was a dissent. That's how a process moves forward. The way we handle this recent situation has thrown the 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 uh, the legitimacy of the court uh, out, in my opinion. I agree with you. Yeah. Well, I think they were. I don't think they were very legitimate for a long time. But but I think this is just a perfect example of of how far they've fallen. Yeah. Can I? I really want to talk about Captain America. Can we, can we uh, talk about Captain America? I actually sure. don't. Well, I, I want to talk about All something right. else. Okay. No. Go All ahead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to know if first. anyone we saw have, you know Tony he's I'm going to do the objective school right? of ladies first. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. I just don't have anything to add. I haven't seen it. it. I I just I'm fascinated by it and I want to get people's take on it. So he so Captain America, his villain is Red Skull who was traditionally like a communist or whatever. His villain is Jordan Peterson now. He made Red Skull um, into Jordan Peterson. Red Skull is Jordan Peterson. Red Skull has let's see 10 rules for life. Um, he's got, I'll just show you this really quickly. I'm just fascinated by this culturally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's literally an inversion of, of good versus mm-hmm. evil. He, they, yeah. He's literally inverted it. So there's, mm-hmm. there's Red Skull. He's got 10 rules for life. I think Jordan has 12. He's using all Jordan's terms, chaos and order. Uh, <laughs> Carl Luger's genius instead of Carl Jung, I assume. The feminist trap. Right. He's got this conversation. Um, it's the same for all of them. Young men, weak, looking for a purpose. I found the flag. You found the badge. They found the skull. He tells them what they are always they've always longed to hear, that they are secretly great, that the whole world is against them, that if they they're truly men, they'll fight back. And bingo, that's their purpose. That's what they live for. And that's what they'll die for. They, he's turned Jordan Peterson into an enemy i i i into like an not just an enemy like an evil villain i am sorry i this bother maybe carrie doesn't care it really bothers me 
No one cares. Yeah, it sucks. No, no, I care. That sucks. That sucks. Um, Jordan, Jordan Peterson certainly isn't an enemy. I, I think he's, I think he's half good, but he's not an enemy. And I respect him. I was, I was at that objectivist conference where he, where he spoke um, with, uh, with your, uh, with your Brook, it, with da uh, Dave, Dave Rubin. Rubin. Oh, um, I was there I, as I well. Thought, yeah. Oh, we were, we were there. I spoke yeah. right before him actually, but about Bitcoin. So, okay. Not as exciting. <laughs> well, um, he, he, I thought he was very powerful, you know, and, and I've liked him for a long time. And, um, and I think he's, he's a, he's a powerful ally to have. So he actually, to go back to the beginning, we were talking about what woke me up. He was a big part of my leaving my old ideology because around the same time I started questioning things, uh, before the, right before the 2016 election, um, someone shared a link to a video of his and, you know, was calling him transphobic. And I checked out that video expecting to agree with my friend and to hate him for his transphobia. And instead I saw him making a very compelling argument against compelled speech in law. And then I started watching a lot of his older videos. I watched an old one from the eighties called um, uh, evil versus tragedy, where he talked about, the Cain and Abel story in the Bible as being a, a great allegory for two different ways of being in the world. You can be like Cain and not make the necessary sacrifices and you can be resentful and arrogant and entitled, or you can be like Abel and be grateful and be humble and try to try to cultivate that gratitude and make the sacrifices that you, you know, for what you want to get out of life. So he, he sort of broke that story down in such a way that it, challenged me i started thinking about all of my interactions and every every day several choices you know that we make throughout the day am i behaving like kane or am i behaving like abel so that's part of me leaving social justice it wasn't just that i examined the ideas eventually and looked at it and found it to be an evil belief system i do think it's evil but it was also that i don't know i changed the whole way i interacted in the world it was a way in which I behave changed. And so. Yeah, that's that, That's important. Yeah. I think that the, one of the terrible things about social justice uh, action is that they, they project, they project morality onto everybody else, moral responsibility onto everything else. It's a deterministic philosophy. So if something's wrong, it's them. And what you did was you shifted it internally and said, well, actually, I'm responsible for the way I act and for the way I perceive the world. How can I change that? And that is a that is a fantastic you 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 separated yourself from the deterministic web they tried to get you in. And you said, I uh, you claimed your own autonomy and your own humanness and your own self-responsibility. And I think that's fantastic. I think he's he did that for a lot of people. He also was he a did. gateway for some people to Christianity <laughs> um, or yeah. just, you know, if not Christianity being, I guess, a little more open-minded about spiritual matters. Um, but uh, he made it less esoteric. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he said it's about these old stories that contain old wisdom and it's really important for you to connect to them because they can tell you a lot. So <laughs> don't be afraid of them. And I think that opened up a lot of people because there, there is a lot to learn. I've read the Bible twice for crying out loud in the new Testament multiple times. Um, and, and, uh, there is a lot to, to take from that. There, there truly is. Media. So, and, and one thing I will say about Jordan Peterson, he, the fact that he was attacked and 
it became memes how he would go on interviews and people would misrepresent what he's saying to his face right and i think that woke up a lot of people where he's actually having an intelligent thing he's stating something and you're having people misstating what he's stating right to his face and he responds reasonably again and they misstated again and that woke up a lot of people as the propaganda that they were trying to shame him by misrepresenting what he's saying what you really mean is like no, that's not what i mean and that's not what i've said and so you're projecting onto this this you're you're creating a, this fake image of who i am which is the continuation into into red skull now that's always been what this gentleman's journey has been he's be, he's become you know a name attached to an idea that's projected onto him yeah, yeah you know guess, the, the, the sjw's the sjw's are intellectual masturbators they really have their own fantasy of what you are in their head and then they circle jerk fallacies into it. It's uh, it's gross. Well, I I'm have gonna, to actually thank Hollywood. I want to say I have to thank Hollywood for why I'm not an SJW because I showed up in town. You know, you know, I've worked on a lot of shows, Mark. That you know, Sleeper Cell and Nikita and all these sort of shows. And, and I've been working on all these things. And when I showed up in town 20 years ago. I wanted to just fit in. So I wanted to go along with what everyone said. And quickly, quickly I realized nobody in Hollywood wanted me anyway, whether I fitted in or not. As the Muslim guy, the last thing they wanted, because I was religious, which they weren't, and they were very hostile to religion, not in the objectivist critique, but in the sense of they, they're materialists, right, in their worldview, and they didn't like a religious guy showing up. And number two, as you may probably know, in our industry, uh, everyone is liberal, or at least thinks they're liberal, except when it comes to Israel and Palestine. Then they're all real right wing. Then they're all like, screw all these Palestinians, right? And that's what our industry is. So a Muslim guy showing up became the representation of their fears of, you know, the evil Palestinians are going to kill all of the Israelis, right? And so very quickly, I, just, I discovered nobody wanted me in the club. And so I could just be myself then because it didn't matter anymore, right? And so they never wanted, they, the SJWs of Hollywood never wanted me. And so they freed me. And it was a great blessing with that. Wow. Well, you're just, you're just showing how they've always been chauvinistic. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, speaking I mean, that's my, my experience. everyone's liberal. Everyone Hollywood's liberal until they meet me, and then suddenly, and suddenly, they ain't that liberal anymore. <laughs> and like, this is a great time to ask this question. This was a super chat from Rachel. Hi, Rachel. I don't, I don't think I've seen you before. Welcome. She says, "I'm an actor, and I want to form a wrong think community, and eventually an alternate entertainment industry. I also have an idea for an alternative platform. Suggestions on how or where I can find wrong think creators." I have some ideas on this, but do you guys have suggestions for her? I mean, you know, there there are people sort of doing that now. Um, let me think. Uh, well, Ben Shapiro is doing all. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say Ben Shapiro. He's starting his own thing, and Dallas uh, Sonieros, who, who produced. Uh, uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99 and Bone Tomahawk is becoming a producer over there and um, and they're starting to create their own content but it has to go through and, and I've actually been talking with with him um, about something I'm trying to get up uh, but you do have to go through uh, a subscription to I think the Daily Wire because it's all sort of under that and so it's not quite independent in the sense that yeah there's people who wrong think and with dallas you'll get somebody who wants to make films that are not just about say religion or what mm -hmm. typical conservatives would want but more universal but you're still going to have to go through this sort of political animal um to get it produced but at least it's the beginning of something and i know what Jor jordan peterson and dave rubin were starting a platform and i think that's just the beginning of people splitting off and doing their their own yeah. things right so yeah. you, and, do and you I know who, who else do you know, Cameron? 
Well, I mean, I, I mean, Shapiro is the one that's doing it most courageously, and it's, it's going to be interesting because the question, and I, I think Mark, you know this, it'll be easier to get crews on that traditionally well-trained Hollywood crews onto his projects. Not so sure about the on-air talent. A lot of on-air talent yeah. will be uncomfortable being associated with him, right? Even if they might philosophically be more yeah. open to it. It's just, you know, they got, they got to worry about their next gig. That's going to be how the industry is going to try to shut that down is by preventing credible people from being there. But, you know, you have people like, you know, Gina Carano, who was exiled from Disney unjustly, who is going to be in one of his things. And, you know, I think it'll all be about people who are willing to risk, you know, maybe not getting cast in the next J.J. Abrams things because it's important for them to, uh, to, uh, to start letting truth come out or at least, you know, truth as they perceive it. And so it's going to be a process. There will be a lot of resistance to it. Uh, from the system yeah the more I, gina Carano's they create though the more the more mm -hmm. of those people will be available for ben shapiro right i'm like you know like i said shapiro is a conservative guy but he also doesn't like the palestinians either so i hope it's not one of these issues, right he's you know, you know, gina cross out there shooting people with turbans right i hope that's not what he's pitching her we'll see we'll see what, <laughs> we'll see what happens we, we I only just, got this go ahead we only got the the second half of that because you froze up oh, but no, i think I, I, I think you know ben, ben shapiro being he's been his his views of the middle east you know like i said everyone hollywood whether right wing or left wing, they all like, well, screw these Arabs, screw these Muslims, screw these Palestinians. They're all agree on that. And so Shapiro ain't exactly friendly to my point of view on some of these things either. So the, the, the funny thing will be, you know, will he be offering Gina Croner to be doing these sort of old Chuck Norris movies from the early 80s where you go in and you take out a bunch of brown dudes and turbans, right? Is that what he's going to be offering her? I don't know. I hope it's better than that. Here's hey, Cameron, have you seen the, have you seen the show? I think it's on Netflix, Fauda? Israeli show? No, some of my friends really like it. I haven't watched it yet. You should watch it. I'd like to see. I'd like to hear your opinion about it. I like it actually quite a, quite a lot. Well, it's interesting because shows coming out of Israel are actually very objective about the situation because these are their neighbors they have to deal with. Shows being written by people in Beverly Hills about the Middle East tend not to be objective. <laughs> so it's just the way it yeah. works. Yeah. I was going to suggest for Rachel just um, mm -hmm. something you can do if you're trying to build that network and meet people. Is just go on Twitter and start talking to people. Our friend Clifton Duncan, um, there's a chance he might still pop in at the end. He's an actor. He recently broke his silence and started talking about woke ideology. And, you know, it, that way he doesn't believe in it. He's not a part of it. And he's an actor and would still like to work. And and I think that you're starting. And he one of the first things he did, he came on our show and then he just started. He was on Twitter and he just started reaching out to people and trying to find others. In you know, who is all, it? Clifton Duncan. Um, he's great. I love him. I love bo both you guys. I've been very excited every time we talk to people who are in a, some type kind of entertainment space mm -hmm. who don't have that fear of saying what they believe to be true. So, so oh, yeah. I didn't say I don't. I didn't say I didn't have the fear. <laughs> I have or, it. That's but true. Because it's well, a very you know, real. You know, people that don't want you on this on this on this show on unsafe space. Or, I mean, I mean, you have you know, Mark. You have a very long resume. That doesn't mean that some people in the system will be like, I don't. This guy's getting a little too vocal for me. I and mean, that's a real, real problem. Sure, that could have that could have happened already. Um, and I don't know it. I just won't be hired by those people. But uh, look, I one, one the one of the good things about the social justice thing is it sort of resembles the Jacobins of of um, revolutionary mm -hmm. France. Mm -hmm. They're they're violent and they eat their they eat themselves. They they consume each other after a while. Um, so I have a feeling they're just going to cannibalize each other. Mm -hmm. um, 
However, they could do a great deal of damage before that stage happens. I just hope I just hope more people stand up because the, the thing that gives it air is 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 the pretense that it's moral and good and that you're mm -hmm. and that yeah. and that scraping bowing and scraping to these nihilistic fucks is actually good <laughs> is actually going to do anything positive for you. Not only are you are you separating yourself from your integrity and your humanness in that moment and any dignity that you have but but down the line you're going to be in their sights again there's and they know they oh. can have you now because then um, you said you own me like i will yes. bow yeah know? no don't bow to it it's irrational it's insane and and the and the and the it just keeps getting more crazy like the more crazy it gets thankfully i think the more people will say whoa <laughs> that's where we stop um, you know, it's, it, there are a few things I think they've put out there that are pretty nuts that people are starting to just starting to look now where they weren't before. Yeah. So if you have to go work in a granite quarry, go work in a granite quarry, but don't don't lose your integrity. I think so. Nice callback. That's right. That's true. <laughs> uh, one quick thing about entertainment. I just saw I just watched the old Stepford Wives again, the original based on the book, the the 75 film. And I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, I, I own it. I, I knew I liked it already, but I hadn't seen it in about 20 years. And it's so relevant today. And I know we've talked about a lot of classic literature on this show and, and film adaptations of, of uh, books like Brave New World and 1984. And I think they're all very relevant today. But Stepford Wives, I think it's also relevant today. There, there was a lot in there that reminded me of uh, well, first of all, you can see gaslighting happening, actual gaslighting, not the, not the way that SJWs use the term when they just mean you're disagreeing with me, but actually, you know, the husband trying to convince the woman that reality is not reality and that she's just crazy. And uh, the way in which everyone slowly conforms. And there's, there's one point in the movie where it's her and her friend and they even question themselves. They're like, is, is, are we the crazy ones? Is everyone else sane? And I think I mean, a lot of people feel that way today when they look at the media. Well, but yeah, I, I think I think that's a classic sociopath's trick is to is to get you to think you're the crazy one. And I have no doubt that just like the people, some of the the four, the, the five to ten people who are the the source of bullying for me online are full on sociopaths. And some mm -hmm. of them I think are even psychopaths. I have no doubt that the many of the leaders of these individual groups are have social pathology sociopathology going on or some kind of psychopathy going on and they're just using this as a, as you know as an excuse to express it yeah well what are some classic well, it's interesting because do you have any word, recommendations come from the movie oh. Oh, i'm sorry from the movie gaslight yeah yeah the movie gaslighting which is in Did it freeze? Oh, you're freezing, Cameron. Yeah, I'm. Uh, this is a. I'm. Uh, guys, I'm in Daytona Beach. Just to let you know, we I, might we I we can't hear you. We after we fourteen months. Oh, I think we I should. Wanna, I know. I want to yeah. hear it. Maybe you should try logging out, coming back in one more time. Blow on it. 
I, I'll come back. Can you hear me for this one? Months trapped in Los Angeles, being unable to leave. I finally took a weekend trip to Florida. So I'm out here on the beach in Florida, and that's why we're not having great reception. Copy that. Wait, what were you going to say about the yeah. movie? No, I was just saying that the, the, the movie Ingrid Bergman, you know, Gaslight, the, the term comes from that. It was all about her being manipulated by a sociopath, right? Mm -hmm. uh, who's basically trying to make her see a false reality that that is, that, you know, and that's the world that we're living in. It's, we're living in that movie. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Do you have I mean, other that, that's movies the only that way you that would... social justice works because it doesn't work in real reality. So you have to paint a false mm -hmm. one and then and then get into people that it works in this false reality that I've painted for you. I was just going to ask if anybody had other recommendations for classic films or TV shows that they think are especially relevant right now. I would like some more. So I know Invasion of the Body Snatchers is also good. You know, here here's an interesting one. Gone with the wind. <clears throat> Because we're actually facing a period with, of, a, of the end of a civilization, right? And we're having to rebuild. And you, you, you look, you look in the world that I remember as an 80s kid. I feel like Scott O'Hara on the plantation in the 80s, right? You know, a beautiful world that's all perfect. And we have Karate Kid and whatever. And everything is great. We have good movies and great music. And people are kind of normal. And now we're living in a world where it's like, you know, the end of the Civil War. And we're going to rebuild some kind of civilization after the world we know is gone. You know, yeah. since you brought it up, Cameron, and since you're the one who recommended the fourth turning, uh, I should we should reveal that mm -hmm. we read the fourth turning as a book club book, and I wow. some people I think were more impressed than others, but I think a, a lot of the sentiment was kind of, well, this is cherry picking and also not really accurately predicted where we are now. I mean, we're kind of I'm late sure on a bunch true. of things, mm -hmm. and like, where where is the big, where's the big physical conflict that's supposed to be happening? We seem to be in an awakening period. We seem to be in a cultural no, no, war. We are no. than an we're in a war, war right now. It's an information war. We we, are, we yeah. can't do physical war anymore with nuclear weapons. We can't do that. We can do psychological warfare, which is what we're in. We're in global psychological warfare turning. right now. No, that's well, the fourth I, turning. That we are no, in the crisis that. right now. Yeah, the fourth turning. No, the second turning is the We're, is the cultural war. The fourth turning is the physical war. There's a cultural war that happens in the second turning. That's the awakening when the when the institutions are questioned, yeah. when the I, the new ideology rises and challenges the old ideology. That's the second turning. The fourth turning is a physical conflict. Now maybe that's changed, and I kind of agree he didn't with say it I always think ended. Nuclear in weapons might have changed that trajectory, but that was the trajectory yeah. in the book. No, but he didn't. He specifically said the fourth turning doesn't always include a war, didn't he? Like a physical war. But it is. It's a breakdown uh, of, of the entire system. It's a breakdown of the system, and historically, it is that usually leads to external violence. I mean, when a civilization breaks down, and that's that's where we are. You know, I think the second turning this era was the rise of uh, the, the normalization of cultural Marxism in academia in the 60s and the 70s. I think that was a, that was a second turning that led us to where we right. are today. And that made sense. Uh, and then now, you know, I don't I don't think we can physically go to war anymore. We can use information war. Look, there's different people's livelihoods are being taken away. I was kicked off of Twitter. I was using Twitter to promote my novels and stuff that was actually earning me money. Right. That's been taken away from me. So that's an actual aggressive livelihood. That's an aggressive act. And that is the form of we are unpersonally pushing people out of culture. Uh, that is the form of the war that we're taking 
because we can't physically do the uh, the uh, things. And and one can argue that certainly the events of the virus and the lockdown were utilized by politicians to put in restrictions that were many would argue are unscientific. And the restrictions certainly in California. I'm going back to California in three days, and I've got to sign a pledge when I get to LAX. I have to sign a pledge wow. that I'm not going to leave my home for two weeks after I go home. Really? That, That's the rule. I mean, this is America. Yeah, I got an email reminding me from the airline. Remember, when you get off at LAX on Sunday night, you have to sign a pledge that says that you're going to go straight home and quarantine yourself for two weeks. A pledge to the governor. I got to sign it. It's legally binding. Well, it's unenforceable, but it's it's there to. Sh- but it's having effect. Like my sister won't come visit me right now because she doesn't want to sign that pledge and get in trouble. I'm like, you're not going to get in trouble. Nobody's enforcing the pledge, but she won't do it. Yeah, well, that's affecting our lives. Likes- Word. This is the form of warfare. It's yeah. it's the breakdown of 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 families, of human culture, of people's jobs, and it's being done in an authoritarian way. And so yeah, the civil I, I war is the resistance. We saw, We're actually part of, of this war. Unsafe space is at the center of the war. No, no, I, no one's disagreeing with that. And when we talk about a cultural war all the time, the question was whether mm-hmm. it really fit into the definitions mm-hmm. in the book, like the and the and the millennial. The millennials didn't really seem like the hero generation by a bunch of definitions. There was actually similar to a lot of religions. The book seemed to have uh, a smorgasbord of descriptions that you could apply selectively so that you could always kind of say, well, look, this is why it's this thing. And it wasn't really that objective. But I I, I wasn't here to argue the book. I wanted to know your take on it, because I think in book club, a lot of people were like, I'm not sure about this fourth turning thing. And if we're really in it and when it started, there was disagreement about if we are in it, was it uh, was it 2008, the financial crisis or was it Trump's election? Like, uh, so I just wanted to kind of get your when would you have said it started and you're saying it's a non-physical war? Okay. Yeah. I also agree that it's, you know, I believe that the that the paradigm. Yeah, I think it's relatively accurate paradigm and I think we, we all are in the center of it. And I think Trump's election was the catalytic moment. You know, he's the gray wolf or whatever they talk about in that book that's going to come in. And even if he's not there right now, he revealed what our society really is and revealed the truths of it, you know, and ugly truths. And that's, we're now fighting the process of those truths coming out. I think that it, it, even at the very at the very beginning, it explains, I just wanted to make this distinction between the, the second and the fourth turning. It says, the first turning is a high, an upbeat era of strengthening institutions and weakening individualism when a new civic order implants and the old values regime decays. The second turning is an awakening. This is what the book argues happened in the 60s and 70s. Right. An awakening, a passionate era of spiritual upheaval when the civic order comes under attack from a new values regime. The third turning is an unraveling, a downcast era of strengthening individualism and weakening institutions when the old civic order decays and the new values regime implants. So this this values regime from the 60s and 70s sort of was implanting in the 80s and 90s. And then the fourth turning is a crisis, a decisive era of secular upheaval when the values regime propels the replacement of the old civic order with this new one. And I think that's, I do see us being in that crisis period now. I don't think it's a physical war. Maybe it could become one. but I, I tend to see it, then it, they, it, according to this book, then, you know, then it all repeats. Well, what's the high, the high that's going to come next. is going to be 
maybe 20 years of these authoritarians celebrating their high that we've done it. You know, we've made society safer. We've succumbed the individual to the collective. You know, we, we subverted the individual to the collective. And I think they're going to have their 20 year day in the sun. And that's going to be our high. And then there's going to be the awakening that follows is going to be destruction of this this new norm that we've created. That's what I think. I mean, I have hope for the awakening. I'll be, how old will I be then? What's uh, 40 years? I'll be in my 80s. <laughs> but anyway, it's a great book. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, Who's the author? William Strauss. Oh, even, and, if, even if we can find flaws in the analysis, I think it's important we look at it. Yeah. William Strauss and Neil Howe. And basically it was written in 1997 and they were sort of looking at throughout history, but specifically American history, and trying to give us another way of, of looking at events. They wrote it in 97, they, and they were saying we're in the, at the time, in 97, we're in the third phase, and there will be a fourth phase coming. That'll be the crisis. And they, they were encouraging us to, again, look at time as a cyclical thing and not necessarily just a linear thing. The way that we look at seasons, you know, cyclical, the, the calendar starts over at January every year. They basically say we should also look at at um, almost like centuries as being cyclical and that you see these same four seasons happening in time over and over again. I, it's, it was really interesting. I just ordered it. Cool. <laughs> and you know, you know who stated this before? You know who stated this before? A thousand years ago. No, you know who stated this before? A thousand years ago, Ibn Khaldun, the, the modern sort of, the first modern historian as we understand it, right? He he had, Ibn Khaldun was this Arab uh, historian from about the 10th century who established the historiography of the Middle East. And he talked about the rise and falls of the different caliphates in these ways, right? In the four seasons. So this is very much an idea that repurposes generationally. Yeah, I, I just wanted to like give Mark the heads up. I, I, don't, I don't know if you'll end up with agreeing with me or not, but like it's not a. Uh, there's some there's some good stuff in it, which is the 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 concept of one generation's the the context in which one generation is is raised affects that generation's attitudes and behavior, and and then. And then as that generation grows up, they in turn affect the younger generation's attitude and behavior. And there's some, I, personally, I thought there's some like legitimacy to, to diving into that and looking at that. Ultimately, my opinion about the book is it's largely astrological and, and lots of cherry picking and just a little bit too like astrology to me. But... <laughs> cool. uh, but like, that like, part like, is still valuable. If you that want, part is still you valuable. should read Cosmos and Psyche. Like, like an. You should read Cosmos and Psyche, which is a book on the history of how major historical events always pattern major astrological events. It's a great book. Yeah, I'll probably Cosmos skip and Psyche. That one. Um, it's actually again, you can't handle facts that don't fit in your paradigm. It compares the events consistently. I have limited time to read and places. the the. I have limited time to read and, and reading a book that proposes that the stars are going to tell me how humans will behave next century is probably not top of my list. If I had lots of time, maybe I'd get to it. Sure. Oh, below the stars are a projection of our I discriminate. It's all one mind, but you, you ain't ready for that, buddy. We'll get, we'll get you. We'll get you there. All right. We'll get you. <laughs> one last thing about this book and the, and the, the so-called, uh, the crisis that we're currently in. 
I think it was Trump, but I think it was Trump combined. I think it was a few things. It, it, was, it was this perfect storm of Trump, social justice becoming dominant culturally and COVID. Because COVID is, is, is sort of the way in which we've responded to COVID anyway, or that several states chose to respond to COVID was seeing a lot of this ideology, I think, reach uh, application in law where you've actually, you're seeing people be conquered. Their free will is being, they're just surrendering. They're saying, okay, I agree with state-sanctioned lockdowns and, and the government telling us that this business can stay open and this business can't. And I agree with wearing this thing on my face every day for who knows how long and if I want to be able to participate in society. And, and, and I agree with and, taking experimental yeah. vaccine. That's only six months old. Yeah, so yeah, I agree with all it's stuff that I wouldn't have done 10 years happened, ago. Yeah. basically. Yeah. Or well, I think I think you could see something equally. Uh, um, I, I want to say apocalyptic, or um, in in Leonard Peikoff's *The Ominous Parallels*. I think if you want to read a book that that takes takes uh, takes these um, elements in history that led to the rise of Nazism and then compares them to the same intellectual movements, there it is. Intellectual movements in uh, America. I think we see in Trump and the nationalist right the beginnings of the reaction to the radical skeptics on the on the left, um, which went through their versions in in Germany too. Let's not forget Hitler was a, a beatnik for crying out. He was a he was a he was a bohemian artist, you know. So I think I think we're uh, we're seeing those reactions here and and in Atlas Shrugged as well, which you should read. I think Rand very well illustrates through the narrative how civilizations go the way their ideas are, the way their ideas tell them to go. Um, and I think you can point to most civilizations as as dying on the sword of their ideas or flourishing because of their ideas. Um, so those books yep. are prescient as as well. Thank you. I, I often feel like we're living in the end of Atlas Shrugged, especially in California where the power keeps going off. What's that? What did you say, Cameron? No, I said, I'm what just going to pushing Cosmos and Psyche. Well, I've written all three Psyche. of them down, so I've got to read Atlas Shrugged yeah, first. Love Cosmos and Psyche. It's, it's going to shake <laughs> you up. Atlas Shrugged will take you a while. What is it, 1,700 pages? Yeah. I don't want to discourage you. That, that month we did that book. I started late like I usually do. I thought I could binge it like I do all the other books. No. <laughs> There's a three-hour no. speech in the book that takes literally like three hours to read. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Maybe two hours. Am I, am I allowed to... Yeah, yeah. I, was gonna, I just noticed that too. I was going to say, can we? Can I say the super chat question? Yeah, sure. Because somebody needs advice on raising kids in this crisis. So far, they're homeschooling and trying to move out of the city. The oldest is five. And they're in their late twenties. I have a suggestion. Cameron, did you have a suggestion before me? We should, we sort of saw it at the same time. I, I want to hear your try. suggestion first. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not a libertarian, but I do think that the um, that Tom Woods has organized a curriculum for high school students and and below high school students, primary and secondary school. It's based on the Ron Paul curriculum that is a it comes at history from a certain perspective, and I think it's. From that, they may even be more dimensions to it. There may there may actually be math and science and, and stuff as well, 
but you hook into some top professors who are giving you math and science and literature and history, um, real history, not not some narrative that somebody's made up. And I think you can you can get these courses um, for your kids. There's there's also now the great courses. There's there's I don't know if you know of the great courses. Hillsdale College also produces a lot of stuff. It's a little bit more faith based in, in, in some respects, but they're not touched by the government. They don't take a penny of government money, so they're independent and they're they're um, they offer courses all the time for when your kids get older uh, on almost everything. So you can get the equivalent of a, a college education. You might even be able to register and go online that way as well. Um, but I think that's what with kids. I think you should go Montessori. To be honest with you, they're that young, they're five. If you can get them into a Montessori school so that they develop their brain properly, they make the the right associations. Uh, I think I think Montessori makes connections between the tactile sense and learning, and it, 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 I think your your child's physiological brain would be much better um, starting off with that, and then going from there with some of these other courses. That's I don't know if that's organized enough to make a point. But do you have kids, well, Mark? Uh, I have stepkids. I'm just asking because I, I my daughter went through my I I can I'm going to underscore your Montessori thing I. For me, I found it worked up until about fourth grade. Yeah. Uh, it starts to break down after that because um, there's actually I just don't think there's been enough uh, research and how to do it uh, older, like how to kind of continue that philosophy for older kids. It's primarily for young kids, but it was it's phenomenal for yeah. young kids. And I'll underscore that Ron Paul does have a good curriculum. Uh, Tom Woods is most I don't think there's math in Tom Woods. And and a lot of it's like like lecture based and a little bit older uh, for when your kids get older, but that stuff's great as well. Um, math you can do Khan Academy is decent and it's free and it's online. Like math is not hard. Um, maybe some of the sciences. The other thing I would say for homeschooling people is I did a decent amount of research because my um, my daughter's mom was really concerned about socialization. Just drop it. Don't worry about socialization. It's a it's bunk. It's a bunk argument. It's not true. Like social kids do not need to go to public schools or any school for socialization. I agree. Uh, it's it's I not. Agree. It's bunk. It's total bunk. Um, if you're worried about it, enroll them in a sport or something else. Like let them have time doing. You know, my daughter um, basically lives at the horse barn with a whole bunch of other people. You know, and that's her socialization, and it's not necessary it's a it's a red herring psychologically yep i agree i think we lost cameron i think we did yeah we should wrap up soon it's been a couple hours and it's your birthday and i yeah. really appreciate you taking so long with us <laughs> we're stealing your birthday time wait yeah. i want to say one more thing because someone points this out and it's important montessori is not a copyrighted term so anyone can call themselves montessori do the work if you're going to send your kid somewhere Montessori. Do the work to figure out. Also, also if you're in California, if that person is in California, there's an academy called the Van Dam Academy, which I think goes from uh, kindergarten to maybe twelfth grade or so. It's I think they go all the way up to twelfth grade now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. And, do you, and I, Laporte I, Schools also does that. I, I, I'm I'm blanking out right now. The woman who runs the Van Dam, is it Van Dam? Her name is Van Dam. Lisa Van Dam, right? Yeah, she's yeah, Lisa, awesome. Lisa runs it. Yeah. She is awesome. If you can get a hold of her on social media and ask her suggestions, uh, she is an expert 
in Montessori and in um, in education in general. So she she might be able to lead you in the right direction. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mark, for tuning in today. I hope you Thanks have a very happy birthday. Thank you. And it just occurred to me towards the end of this conversation, because I do think of who I am now. It's almost I think of my old life when I was social justice or whatever. And I just remembered, wait a minute, I'm talking to Jacob from Lost about <laughs> the meaning of life. I'm talking to the devil. <laughs> I'm talking to the smoke monster. Am I? <laughs> anyway, that's pretty I killed, cool. Uh, I made the smoke monster. So. Uh, oh, you made the smoke. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that... kill, I, kill, I killed my brother who had ambitions to see the world and um, he became a smoke monster. <laughs> Thank you for clearing that up and reminding me. Anyway, I hope you have a happy birthday and I really appreciate you. you joining us. Thank you guys. Thanks yeah, for having happy me. Happy birthday, man. Yeah. I really, really appreciate your time. Um, you. It was great. Thank you everyone for watching. Uh, and, and where can people find you on Twitter? Twitter? We'll put it in the description. But again, your Twitter handle oh, yeah. is Mark R. Pellegrino. Mark R. Pellegrino. That's right. Cameron, we were just saying happy birthday to Mark. Well, happy he birthday. And I was going to say this because we're going to, I'm going to keep promoting confidence and psyche. You're an Aries. So Aries tend to be independent thinkers. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I buy that. <laughs> Cool. Well, I agree and I that want to Aries all tend to be independent because I think that's true for all signs. Cool. Cameron's no longer on Twitter, so they've permanently banned him. Yeah. Uh, but if oh, you're still really? there, that's yeah. They, they claimed I was promoting spam, and I was a fake. Because you account. were posting hot women on your Twitter yeah, account, and, right? Uh, and I guess I guess the modern Puritans don't like attractive women on on. And, and I also looked up that guy you told me to, the actor that you liked. And, oh, and, Clifton. Clifton, it looked like his was suspended. What? If it is, that's new. Unless I got the wrong Clifton Duncan, was it Clifton Duncan? Clifton, C-L-I-F-T-O-N. Oh, yeah. look up Clifton A. Duncan, and there he oh, is. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. He's he's a sweetheart and um, really thoughtful, and yeah, I think you'll like I think you'll like him. What he's trying to do. Good. We all gotta we all gotta uh, join hands and and fight this nonsense but bring something positive not just fight him not just be the anti-woke be yeah. be be the positive life thriving human beings that we want to to see out there one of my That's favorite awesome quotes yeah one of my favorite quotes is um wendell berry who said be joyful you have considered all the facts <laughs> and i think that yeah bring positivity well, that's and, right. and that's what this unsafe space is. Look, we've already we're giving part of the solution right here. We have people of different religious philosophical backgrounds here. We we didn't agree on a lot of things necessarily on this thing, and we're all talking as friends, and we're trying to build a better world together. That's the answer. Yep. Well, I'm gonna go try and get you canceled from everything as soon as the show's over, though, Cameron. So stand by. <laughs> okay. But the, hey, the woke crowd already did it, so you don't have much work to do. Crowd. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. And, and Mark, and Mark, I hope we get our paths will cross professionally, and maybe a show or movie will end up working together. I hope that that would be that fantastic. I would so. really love that. I'll give you the secret handshake. You know, whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, right. you know, I can't. I was gonna make a hand gesture that's inappropriate, and I won't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, guys. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thank thank you for having Have me. a good Bye. weekend. Thank you, you guys too. for Yeah, happy in. birthday again, Mark. Go to Permani Brothers or something. Go go enjoy Pittsburgh somehow. Okay. So. Uh, it's cheerleader week here in Daytona. It's going to be fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. And enjoy your, I'm sure you're taking lots of photographs <laughs> on the beach. So enjoy. Yeah, I can't post them on Twitter anymore. Oh, well. Life goes on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> later. Guys, God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. Bye, -bye.
Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. The following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. For your own safety, and to avoid further spread of contagion, if you have been in recent contact with any of these individuals, please report to your nearest Good Citizen Treatment Center immediately. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Remember, your uninformed opinion matters. We couldn't destroy everything and rebuild Utopia without it. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.